0: Hey guys, Jared here. Before we get into today's episode with Corey and Kyle, I just wanna give you a precursor. This is probably one of the most influential and important episodes that we have done to date. Chock full of information that you're gonna use for your own health and the health of your family. Towards the end, we're gonna give you a discount code. We're partnering with Apsy farms that you can use to take some percentage off of your orders and they deliver throughout the state of Michigan. So if you're living in that area, this is perfect for you. Keep your ears open for that. So without further ado, let's get into this thing.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Weekly Warrior Podcast. And on today's episode, I have my very good friend Kyle Apsey, who is a very integral part of the Apsy Farms team. Kyle, how is it going?
2: Oh, it's going excellent, Corey. Thanks so much for having me on today. It's a pleasure to be yeah. here. I have to say, I, I really enjoy your voice a lot. It's, it's one made for radio and podcast. So.
1: I, I was going to say, I have a face for radio, and I've been told I to have a voice for radio as well, so that's cool. It, it all works yeah. out. No comment on the first, this but is definitely super, the uh, Yeah. <laughs> super exciting. I, we have been, uh, me and you have been, we've known each other for about a year, and we've been consistent consumers of the wonderful products of Apsy Farms, and over the last few months, we've gotten really big into trying to source as much as we can locally and also trying to educate more people about this type of, you know, food procurement. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today, and I appreciate you coming
2: on and doing that. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate your support a ton and all that you guys do on the Weekly Warrior to promote better food, better health and trying to get away from more of the prescription medicines and more about how do you live your best life the way nature intended, and less about relying on the supplements and, and uh, pharmaceuticals. So Yeah,
1: being more proactive than reactive.
2: <laughs> Amen. Amen. So
1: tell me and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and how did
2: you get into making Apsi Farms what it is today? Absolutely. So I actually grew up here on the farm. We're in Central Lower Michigan, on the west side of the state. And growing up, I always appreciated the farm lifestyle a ton. Taught me a lot of valuable lessons, especially the hard work, getting up early. There's really no days off. So all good skills to uh, to use later in life, right? But I never really anticipated growing up that I would continue on with agriculture and farming later on. So I ended up going to the other university in the state, not known for agriculture, and study engineering, <laughs> minor in business and eventually found my way into Chicago, where I started my career in in management consulting. And it was an incredible opportunity. I learned a lot, met some really bright people along the way and had the opportunity to work in a variety of different industries with a variety of different companies. And the firm I worked for was really known for helping big pharma help optimize their sales force and become more efficient with prescribing more patentable drugs to more doctors to get them to prescribe to more patients. And I learned a ton from that experience, but also came away pretty jaded with the whole healthcare system and realized how much money is out there to pre- not to prevent disease, but rather to help put a band-aid on it and get patients and individuals um, more reliant on prescription medicines and statin drugs and vaccines which we won't go into and there's very little incentive (laughs) for doctors to recommend lifestyle practices such as going out in the sun and getting natural sunlight every day so you can reduce your cholesterol levels as well as synthesize more vitamin d and uh, eating more whole foods is incredibly valuable but there's uh, a lot of these supplement companies and big pharma wouldn't make money on that so ultimately, I decided I wanted to have more of a, a mission and impact with my life, and do something to help prevent metabolic disease, as opposed to help more of these big pharma companies make more money with prescribing more medicines and vaccines and uh, procedures.
1: How so? How long were you in Chicago? How long did you do that?
2: So I did consulting for a couple of years, and then worked for a couple of store, startups there in Chicago. Afterwards, so I was there about for five years total, and then. While I was there, started becoming more familiar with grass-fed beef, pasture raised meats and eggs, and saw these other companies come out of the scene, like Blue Apron, Butcher Box. And then the whole idea for the Apsy Farms model kind of came from that.
1: You've seen the the other side of and on last week's episode on episode well, it was a couple weeks ago, on episode one fourteen we talked to Mike Fleming, my friend Tempo, all about this metabolic diseases and all and all of these things that you're talking about. And it's interesting that you were also based in Chicago, working on uh, sort of the the flip side of that, which was the big pharma side. So you've learned that, and then now you're back on the farm, implementing some of your lessons. So speaking of the farm, tell me a little bit about the farm what What's some of the history of it? And as far as your, it's a family owned farm, and I've met. A lot of your family members do do most of your family members still you know work on the farm
2: yeah it's definitely a family affair so it's a centennial farm it's been in the family now for the fourth generation and my parents and my grandparents always worked off the farm to help their to help support their expensive hobby or passion if you will <laughs> and i think that's the same it's true for a lot of farms nowadays especially those that have been around for a while where there's not a lot of farmers that are able to do this full-time. It's, there's a lot of costs involved. It's extremely hard to get enough capital to afford the land. And it's extremely time-consuming. It's a, a 24-7 job, really, when you're taking care of animals and livestock. And so I've been really blessed to have the family farm uh, for generations. And also my, my parents, my grandparents, are some of the hardest-working people that I know. And my dad loves to take care of the livestock and do that farming side of things. And so that's what allowed me to help... Build more of the, the marketing and distribution side of the business to where we can not only help promote products grown at Apsy Farms regeneratively, but also partner with four other farms in the state of Michigan, raising food the right way and helping create more of a better market for their products. So they can make a little bit more money at the end of the day and are also able to focus on doing the things that they love that really make an impact.
1: Yeah, it does. It seems like anytime we stop through and it's later in the evening, uh, and it's Connor and I think like, Oh man, we just had a long day in Grand Rapids. It was oh, so stressful. And then we, we drive to Apsy farms to pick up our, our meat and you're still working. And it's like 8 PM. And it's <laughs> like, this guy must never stop.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, part of that's the, the farming scene where it's, again, it's 24 seven taking the care of livestock, but that's also part of building the startup where we like to say we're kind of a hundred year old startup in a way where. Yeah, the farm's been around for over 100 years, but the whole model of bringing back to our warehouse and being able to connect that food with people that appreciate it, that's just started here in the last few years.
1: So you have been back at the farm um, for how long now?
2: This would be the fifth year later this summer. I'm back to Michigan here.
1: Your t- so I know that you guys have titles. What is your official title i know you do everything i know you run the tractor and you move cattle and i mean i know you do everything but what is your title there
2: uh i mean chief wanda coordinator i guess no, i'm
1: <laughs> yeah
2: wandas are, are wandering chicken that, that always causes a lot of trouble I, I mean i wear a lot of hats as most startups do and i really help oversee the the sales and marketing efforts as well as the operations and i wish i had more time to devote to the farm i enjoy that taking care of the animals and rotating them. But we're blessed to have my dad and also a farm manager help take care of the day-to-day operations and then have a couple others that help us with the packing and distribution.
1: And you guys have hired a couple of people pretty recently to help with some of this increased demand. It's, uh, it, has there been, has, before, I think it's been the last couple months, you've hired, what, three people? Three new people I've seen on your Instagram? Is that correct?
2: Yeah, probably. At least we've had two new hires in the last two months. Or really, I guess Amy's been here for for over three months now. So shout out to Amy and Kaylee for all their help because they've been really tremendous with helping us keep up with the growing demand for orders and customer service side of things. So I definitely couldn't do it by myself, by any means. It's a a team effort and we're trying to bring more farm partners in as well as continue to to build our team so that we can continue to serve and promote regenerative agriculture and these pasture-raised meat and egg products to more individuals across the state, across the Midwest and across the country.
1: Yeah, so that's a perfect segue into my next question. I I wanna talk a little bit about regenerative agriculture because we talk about pasture-raised meats, we talk about regenerative agriculture on the podcast pretty regularly. We've never taken a really deep dive into what regenerative agriculture actually is. Um, So what is is regenerative agriculture? Tell me about it.
2: Great question. So I think the term regenerative agriculture is a somewhat new term that's only come about in the last three, three or four years. Cause when I started, I don't even know if the, t- the term regenerative agriculture was being used before that it was sustainable. Everyone talked about being sustainable, but regenerative goes that to the next level, one step farther where we don't want to just sustain a practice because I, I, I think your stat- the current status quo for the environment and our health isn't one that we really want to sustain for our lifetimes and for the next generation. We really need to help improve and regenerate the health of our soils, the health of our food system, and the health of the people that eat the food. And so that's where the term regenerative agriculture has come about, where it's not just about sustaining the current practices. It's about regenerating the life in the soil, the nutrients in the soil, and the food that's grown in that soil.
1: Yeah, when you look at regenerative uh, regenerative agriculture compared to... Sort of the industrial agriculture system. What what are the main differences? So you talked a lot about soil health. What does that look like when you you know when you compare regenerative agricultural practices with industrial agricultural practices?
2: The biggest difference I would say between the industrial model is the focus on what the values are, and our industrial food system, especially farming. Is one of the oldest and most efficient industries out there. It's been going on for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. Mm-hmm. And the big food companies, similar to big pharma, at the end of the day, they really prioritize the profits over people and over the health of the planet. And unfortunately, most consumers are so conditioned to getting whatever cheapest, whether it's supporting a Walmart or Meyer over your local family business or buying these. Food that's grown wherever in the world, it comes down to more of the dollars and the profit, as opposed to what is healthier for the planet, what is healthier for the food, and and healthier for the consumers. And so, our industrial agriculture system, because it's so efficient and because it focuses on the profits, it's led to this mass consolidation of a lot of businesses. We have these huge mega, well, feedlots. For example, that will buy these feeder calves from all these small family farms and take them out west and they'll raise thousands, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of head of cattle in one confinement operation. And there's extreme economies of scale there. It's extremely efficient. They can truck full loads from here to there to the processor. And then in terms of processing, that's probably the most efficient part of this supply chain. And there's only four players, really, that control 80% of our meat supply here in America. Mm. And there's so many issues with that. And there's been talk about price fixing, too, to help squeeze out the small players and hurts the farmers that are selling into this supply chain. And so the regenerative system is kind of the ant- antithesis. I don't, ant- I don't how to say it. The, uh, the opposite like of it's that. It's fighting
1: back against the industrial system.
2: Exactly. And so it's through more of these smaller regenerative farms that focus on how can we produce more food that's more nutrient-dense on this land, while also regenerating the soil, growing healthier soils, and getting rid of our dependence on these chemical fertilizers and synthetic inputs, and instead using natural principles and livestock to graze the land and move them around so they can put, add the manure themselves. because. As you know, cattle and and these grazing ruminants are some of the best natural fertilizers that we have out there, but the bigger story that's being told in a lot of mainstream media is that cows are bad for the world, and cow farts are ruining, creating more CO2 in the air. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that's been really frustrating for me, realizing that actually the cows aren't the problem, and as Diana Rogers would say, it's not the cow, it's the how. So it's how we manage Mm. these, these livestock and their animals. And yeah, it does take a lot more work to move them every day and to have someone taking care of these animals. And it takes us, for example, in our beef system, 24 months to 30 months to finish these out, whereas the industrial feedlots can do that in 16 or 18 months. And so there's a huge difference in the cost involved in that, in the amount of management that it takes but we can also reduce our dependency on getting these chemicals and produce much healthier food that's better for the consumers as well as the planet.
1: I think it's really interesting because these practices, regenerative agricultural practices are are really starting to take more of a of a grasp on some of the market. But like you said, 80% of the market is controlled by four of the main meat producers and I I think that's really sad because there are hundreds of small farm operations like Apsy farms that are providing insanely high quality meats and eggs and por- and uh, and all these in all these items right and raw milk but as, as well people can't too. see but- past and yeah exact oh you have raw milk we're going to have to talk about that <laughs> oh, sorry I'm sorry. <laughs> um you know you go to the, you go to the grocery store and it's like you said you buy whatever's cheapest but people don't also they don't factor in the environmental responsibility that we have by you know buying things like that i we i did some research when i was doing we did an episode about the american buffalo and i did some research and something popped up that was interesting they brought a herd of buffalo into a completely desecrated uh large swath of land and i think it was in like oklahoma And so it was a monoculture farming operation that had went out of business because the soil was no longer producing. And what they did, they brought these bison back into the ecosystem and let them graze and rotated them. And all of a sudden, this beautiful natural grassland that it was so prevalent in Central America, Central North America, started to regenerate over, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, a pretty short amount of time. So when you talk about cows and how they're sort of the answer and not the problem, what type of uh, impact do they have? Because they really kind of seem like they are the grease that moves this environmental uh, progress. What do they do that provides this added boost to the environment?
2: Yeah, so great question. And yeah, by, the example with bison is really tremendous of what they can do. And helping restore and regenerate our, our soil mm-hmm. so we have we don't have bison on our farm we have cattle and we like to think of our cattle as some of the best grounds crew natural grounds crew that you could ever <laughs> hire and these guys will work 24 7 for free as long as you move yeah they in the work right for spot free. They the yeah. grass. <laughs> just gotta feed them you just can work for food i guess and so we have been able with the, with the cattle and our management practices to drastically reduce our reliance on fossil fuels in tractors because previously before we started rotationally grazing our livestock we would take at least two or three cuttings of hay or, or grow corn on these fields and that would require i don't know at least 10 to 20 different passes along the field per year with the tractors to do the cutting of it especially so take hay for example you'd have to first go out and cut the hay after it's been. so it's already let's assume it's already established and you already did all the the planning and hopefully you weren't plowing which is another side with the till. So, after it's established and you're taking hay on it, you got to go through and you got to mow the field with your mower to, make, to cut the hay. Then, you have to, next step is to go through and you got to rake it all so it dries it out. And then the third level is to go through and bale it up with, and these are all, mind you, very expensive equipment too with balers and rakes and your tractor. And, so, and then you also have to have all the wrap to, to wrap up the bale. And then you need to have the tractor, you need to go take all the the hay off the field, move it out. So that way then the next round of cutting of hay could grow back up. And then you can do repeat the same process 45, 60 days later. Now in our current situation, we now have everything fenced in. And we consider our cattle as our lawnmowers, our mowers. And now we strategically move them every day to a fresh patch of ground. And then they will they will eat it naturally. Mm-hmm. So now we don't have to worry about feeding them hay. They're, they're, they're eating their own food for themselves, as well as then depositing all of this rich manure and urine onto the soil, which makes this incredible impact into rebuilding or building the soil organic matter under the ground, allowing more diverse plants and species to flourish underneath. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, we're helping sequester more harmful carbon in the atmosphere into these soils that we're building. Yeah,
1: which again, I mean, you're killing the segues right now because my next question was <laughs> gonna ask you, there was a documentary and a book written, uh, both called Kiss the Ground. And that's actually how we came across Apsy Farms. We, we lived probably like 10 minutes away when we lived in Reed City, but we never knew that you guys were there. This documentary is all about, uh, you know, soil health, essentially. And how cows, or like you said, ruminants, uh, moving them around, pasture raised, uh, you know, all the manure, everything, all these things help heal the soil and heal the ground, which then pulls carbon monoxide, uh, what is it, carbon dioxide or monoxide? CO2 out of the atmosphere, which then creates, I mean, it's it's a beautiful cycle is what it is. So you were on the Kiss the Ground documentary. What was that experience like? um did i mean that seemed like that was our first really big piece of education into what regenerative agriculture actually does to the environment so tell me a little bit about that experience with kiss the ground
2: well so with kiss the ground i actually had the opportunity to be on a panel with some the the key leaders in the space so ray astroletta and gabe brown dr jason roundtree from michigan state extension and it's really cool to see in the last two years, there's been a ton of more documentaries coming out providing the benefits or promoting the benefits of regenerative agriculture and making it known more wide stream. Because when I first got into this, I, I was so kind of infuriated because you had these documentaries, like what the health come out oh yeah, and promoting yep. this vegan lifestyle for everyone that's saying that, Hey, the only solution is everyone to go vegan, right? If we want to improve our health and improve the, the planet. And I don't, I think that could be farther from the truth because again, it's, it's not the cow that's the issue, it's our industrial efficient feedlot system that's causing these issues. And so many of our customers like, that buy our purchase from us regularly used to be vegans because they thought they were doing the right things. And then unfortunately, over time, they realized how many vital nutrients they're missing in their diet by no longer eating these complete protein sources and healthy fats that you can get with animal foods. And there's so many. we won't even go down the rabbit hole of seed oils and plant-based agenda and and all those issues there. We're going to be doing an episode Um, all about vegetable
1: oils here pretty
2: soon. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to hearing that because that's, that's definitely needs to be more wide stream um, and prevalent about the, the downsides of the plant-based, a lot of the plant, not that plants are bad. I, I, I I still eat plants in my diet and a lot of fruits as well, but um, they're not the the magic solution by any means. And, And there's so many vital nutrients in animals grown and, and, healthy soils too because you are not only what you eat but you are what you what you eat eats and so if this animal that you're eating has been fed this cheaper diet of corn and soy and they're not moving they're not healthy well they're not going to have the vital nutrients and vitamins and minerals that your body needs to really flourish and so then you need to supplement that with another artificial substance or synthetic substance to get those vitamins and minerals
0: Oh, just going to sneak right in past you. Hey, this is Jared. Don't mean to interrupt, but I just wanted to let you guys know if you're holding your phone right now or it's safe to hold your phone, scroll on down in your iTunes and leave the Weekly Warrior Podcast a five-star rating and a review. This helps us build a bigger audience so we may spread information like this from Kyle at Apsy Farms to a bigger and more broad audience, which is what we want. Anyways, that's the whole entire message. Leave us a five-star rating. You can also do this on Spotify, but I don't want to hold you up anymore. Without further ado... Let's get back to the show.
1: I think that uh, bringing up what the health is really important because I was just talking to somebody the other day and we were talking about meat and they were trying to switch to a plant-based diet. And they're like, yeah, we just watched what the health. And I was like, okay, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just hold on. Um, what what the health is – I think the, the good part of what the health is the industrial meat system is really unethical and there should be a lot of reform to that. However, they completely demonize meat consumption and, and all of that when, like you're saying, you get meat from responsible sources and you eat more like nose to tail, the the nutritional benefits are – I mean – scientifically proven tenfold you know what i mean there there's so much proof that this stuff is good for you and then you throw in eating vegetables on top of that so anyway what the health I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people have probably seen that another good documentary to watch so we talked about kiss the ground which is more focused on the soil health itself which is extremely valuable and it's narrated by woody harrelson which makes it very entertaining
2: that's yeah, a great a great watch
1: it's a it is. It was really, really eye opening. Another really good one is Sacred Cow. I was just gonna say that. And Sacred Cow focuses a lot more on the meat itself and how the and how the meat is raised. Um so working those two working together, it really paints this picture of what the reality of the situation actually is. Because I think veganism and not not that I have anything against anyone who's vegan. But I think it's really easy for people who are deeply entrenched in uh, veganism or vegetarianism to get uh, sort of combative about the eating of meat. Like, it's so unethical and it's so wrong. But in in, in some ways, maybe it is to eat meat that you buy at Walmart, and you know what I mean? But buying meat from you, where I go and see the cows and I meet them and I get to pet them and I see that these cows are pretty damn happy. They live a fantastic life. (laughs) I'd like to
2: believe so, yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd be pretty happy doing that, and when my time's up, I guess that's what it is, but I had a pretty good life. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to see past. I think people get so married to the idea of a diet that they can't see what's right in front of their face. Um, And like you said, I I thought it was really interesting what you said, that you've had vegans or vegetarians actually come visit the farm and then uh, become consumers of your product after seeing uh what you do and the benefits of that I, I found that really interesting
2: absolutely so we're yeah we're really blessed to to have consumers that really value what we do and they've eventually opened their eyes up to how not all meats the same not all food's the same and there is a better way out there that's better for the land better for the animals and much healthier for them too giving them their vital nutrients and uh yeah sacred cow a great documentary. I think actually we had more of a cameo appearance in Sacred Cow than we might have had in Kiss the Ground. With Diana Rogers, she's really great and really appreciate all that she does to promote this more wide, wide stream. And yeah, I can't, uh, can't say enough great things about this movement that's going on and helping, like, like you guys are doing, help educate and just give people the facts and not be tied to one specific ethos our way but trying to figure out what works best for you and we like to say everyone should be well should should know exactly what's in your food you should ideally have a relationship with your farmer and a lot of times it comes down to eating because we know it's more expensive right that's always the biggest challenge that we get from people but it should be about eating less but higher quality food as mike fleming pointed out in his podcast (laughs) yeah and uh yeah shout out to mike because he had some really great great advice and feedback on that smart guy yeah So again, you're
1: killing the segues. I was the biggest pushback that we get when we talk to whether it's family, friends, whatever. When we talk to them about this sort of different lifestyle and how we eat and where we get our our food from, where we source our food from. The biggest argument we get is it's just so expensive. It's just so expensive, Um and we hear that all the time, and I'm sure you hear that all the time as well. In your experience, so I think there's two different ways to look at this. There's monetary costs and there's physical costs. So in your experience, what is the major difference financially when you're looking at meat, let's say from APSE farms, and you're going to, or you're going to Meyer or Walmart, and, or anywhere, any supermarket, and you're buying, you know, let's call it, let's let's compare uh cuts of steak so like a a t-bone steak at at AFC Farms and a t-bone steak at Meyer ultimately what's the financial difference between those two
2: good questions i haven't been in Meyer's meat section in a while so i don't know what the yeah, prices it. are <laughs> uh but i mean across the, the sector i think meat in the last year has increased by at least 20% with inflation and it's for us it's about eating again less but better meat, but it's also depending on what kind of cuts do you normally want to eat. And our ground beef we think is, is very reasonable where it's between seven and eight dollars a pound and there's other farms doing something similar, like in California, and they charge between ten and eleven dollars a pound for the ground beef. And so but we're not gonna be anywhere near as cheap as your four or five dollars a pound feedlot meat that's sold throughout the United States. And so and then there's other cuts. Let's say like your oxtail, bone broths, uh, short ribs, shanks are amazing. And they're a lot less expensive per pound than something like your tenderloin filets and ribeyes might be. And the other thing we like to to talk to our our customers about is just, um, well, one, we phrase it as it's an investment, right? You're investing in your food. So that way you don't have to pay all this money every month for prescription medicines, for your statins, for artificial supplements. When, if you were to eat a nose-to-tail approach incorporating liver, beef liver, chicken livers, oxtails, shanks, bone marrow, you're getting all these vitamins and minerals that are much more readily available and bioavailable for your body to absorb and digest than if you were to buy all these expensive supplements every month, only to really create really expensive urine that's going through your body, right?
1: That's a good way to look at it. Expensive urine. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that, I mean, that was my next question was, so there's a financial difference, but what are some of the health benefits that you're going to get from eating small pasture farm meats compared to the feedlot stuff that you buy in the
2: supermarket? Why is it worth that extra cost? Great question. Well, I think it starts with what's not in our food from the start. So we don't use any chemicals, we don't use antibiotics, we don't use vaccines or hormones or any GMOs, and we try to create everything as we try to ro- raise everything as natural as possible. And yeah, we leveraged some technology like electric wire and fencing to help make our lives easier of rotating the cattle and then the chickens that follow along. And then we have our pigs that are help rooting up in our forest and improving there as well as getting some of the, the rich nutrients that you can't find if they were just on concrete every day. So this leads ultimately to m- many more vitamins and minerals in the food, especially for a grass fed beef. They're all 100% grass fed and finished, which means we don't supplement with any cheap grains, no corn, no soy. And so naturally, they, they, they are a little bit leaner. They're not going to have as much unhealthy fats, but they're going to be much higher in our B vitamins, in minerals, and CLA, conjugated glutamic acid. And so that prevents you right there from having to take these artificial supplements. So imagine how much money you can save every month if you don't have to worry about buying multivitamins and these other things that are just generic, cheap, usually the cheaper ingredients that you can use. And instead, if you could eat your liver every day, you're getting abundance of copper, of folate, vitamin B12, and uh, all these other things that you can't really get in any plant foods or um, naturally. And they're never going to be complete proteins like they are with, with your meat and eggs. And so the other point I wanted to make or bring up real quick too in, in terms of how can you save more money and make this more affordable is by cooking your own food at home and also by save, like for example, if you're to cook a whole chicken, after it's done, save the backs and all your bones and make bone broth with that, right? And so now you have more three or four meals out of this one thing that you would, might have just got a rotisserie chicken from Meijer from. And so that goes a long ways. And then also, one eye-opening thing to me that I learned since moving back a few years ago and going to conferences and learning about the restaurant industry and trying to sell to more chefs in and restaurants, and, and shout out to Cafe Momo in Grand Rapids, mm, yes. they help carry our products and they support the regenerative small farms. And I wish there was more restaurants like that. But one of the challenges when you're eating out is the percent food cost as it compared to the percent of the overall plate. So for most restaurants and especially fast food, they only can put can pay at least at most twenty percent of the overall plate cost for food because you got to be able to afford your rent, your overhead, all your staff, and make a profit too at the end of the day. So that means you're dollar whatever double cheeseburger at mcdonald's the food that went into that only cost them 20 cents at most so if instead you are able to buy healthier so spend that dollar at like a farm and their food then and cook it yourself you're getting a much more quality experience in saving that money than if you were to go pay someone else all the time to eat out for that fast food and convenience yeah
1: i'll tell you what one of my favorite guilty pleasures is the Baconator from Wendy's, but something that has become an even <laughs> greater guilty pleasure is making my own Baconator at home. There you go. So, like, you, like it's the same thing, but I just make it with ingredients that we have at home. So like Appsy farms, bacon and ground beef. And then we started doing like raw milk cheese, uh, whenever we can find it and stuff like that. And it's, So much better, (laughs) but it's the same experience, you know what I mean?
2: (laughs) Absolutely. And it's way more healthy for you. And yeah, and you get way more flavors too. And they're not fake artificial manufacturing in a lab either. It's, It's all natural. That's
1: something that when we first started this journey, and you can almost document like our journey with eating this way with the podcast, because we started eating this way when we were living in Reed City. We were shopping at Provision Family Farms, which it was about 25 minutes south of us. Um and Farmer Luke and like it was opening it opened up this giant world of what this food is actually supposed to taste like because we were so used to buying stuff at the grocery store that when we started eating pasture raised you know meats and eggs it was like this is like this is what meat is supposed to taste like this is the essence of beef and pork and the the eggs are way better and it was this crazy because I don't know. Like the pork was the one that struck me the most. You're probably you probably remember eating pork from the store and it's like white, it's very white and pink. But pork mm-hmm. from from I like from that. you guys, it's really it's red. It's almost like a red meat, um which it doesn't mm-hmm. look like that when you buy pork chops at Aldi or Meyer or whatever. So, um I think people miss that part of it too. The flavors are so much more intense and I don't know. I want to use the word primal just because that's a cool world, a cool world to use. But like (laughs) the flavors are just more real. That's what there's this is what this meat is supposed to taste like and not this feedlot meat, you know, and I think you probably know that difference as well.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that a ton. And that and then the flavors are really a reflection of the. The grasses and all these diverse nutrients that they're eating in the vitamins and minerals that comes through in the flavor profile as well. So I appreciate you saying that.
0: At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.
1: We were talking, I was talking to Bones the other day about my hunting experience, and I was lucky enough to be allowed to hunt at Apsey Farms this past fall. And I, I harvested two deer, And which, thank you again, I can never stop saying thank you for that. <laughs> Your whole family, thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely.
2: I'm glad you got to experience that.
1: It is by far the best venison i've ever eaten um and even i like people you know they freak out when they're like oh i got an elk and people freak out when there's elk meat available i've had elk meat this venison is by far the best wild game that i've had and i looked at it like and i i was like why is it why is it like that and then i'm like they're just grass-fed grass-finished deer <laughs> like
2: yeah right we don't have any more Right, anywhere, they so. they
1: eat the same stuff the cows are eating, and the meat shows it. It's super mild, it's really rich, it tastes really good. A lot of people would describe venison as, like, gamey, and I think that it, all wild game is going to taste a little different depending on what they're eating, but this these deer are just eating grass, and it, it shows up in the cows, it shows up in the deer. I mean, it's pr- the proof is in the pudding, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> The proof is in the meat pudding. can not agree more.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I and mean, even some people too that are new to eating the grass-fed, grass-finished beef that we offer, they might even compare it a little bit more to venison because it's, it's leaner and it's got a lot more flavor to it. There's a lot less fat. So if you cook a, ground, a pound of ground beef from us versus your conventional 80-20 ground beef at the grocery store, uh, they're going to have a lot less fat trimmings that come off of it. And, and ours are also going to be much healthier fats too and more CLA- more vitamins and minerals in the meat and so some it's always funny to me where if, if someone's used to conventional they might say hey your your beef is a little bit more like your venison than we than we realize." just like the pork you said is a little bit more red and and not nearly as opaque and fatty yes yeah, not that fats are bad by any no, means no
1: no not at all yeah we talked about uh in the podcast we recorded a couple of days ago we talked about bone marrow and how awesome of mm-hmm. a fat that is and then talking to tempo mike we talked about fats in that episode too. Um, we've been we've been singing fats praises lately. Um, <laughs> you brought up organ meats. Yeah, you brought up liver specifically. Liver, it seems like, has been making a big resurgence in the last, for well, to my knowledge, the last like year or two years. Um, what with organ meats, it's very alien to a lot of people these days because, especially people in our generation, we didn't really grow up. Well, I didn't grow up eating organ meats because they were undesirable, and this push for eating nose to tail in the in the mainstream American culture has it's sort of gone to the wayside a little bit. So, with organ meats, you know, like liver, kidneys, I would consider bone marrow sort of like an organ meat, tongue, that type of stuff. What types of nutritional benefits are you gonna are you gonna get from eating? That way, instead of just eating the prime cuts or the roasts or or what have you,
2: hey, really great question. So, when you're just consuming your steaks and roasts all the time, you're just consuming a muscle meat. uh, That's what they call it, and you're missing out on all these vital nutrients that you can get when you eat a nose to tail approach, which means eating everything you said from the tongue to the heart of the animal to the liver especially and then all the bones and bone marrow and unfortunately so most people they have you have a really bad or red meat gets a really bad rap because most red meat consumption they only look at you're eating steaks in these roasts and you're not eating this wide array of nutrients that you can get from eating the whole animal and what we really need to do is, is try to balance our muscle meat consumption there are steaks and roasts with our our organ consumption and are collagen-rich uh, consumption, glycine, and other stuff. And so when you're, you're, for example, making bone broth or eating bone marrow, you're getting this wide array of collagen protein, which is super vital for our, our hair, skin, nails, our gut health. And most people grew up, like you said, they, they had no idea what bone broth was. They never ate bone marrow. They would, or shanks are another great source of this. They would just eat your steaks. And so when you're just eating those steaks, You can also accumulate excess iron in your body by doing that. And you're not going to have the hair health, the skin health, and feel really vibrant as if you were to balance out your muscle cuts with your collagen and glycine sources. So that's the the one big thing there. And then the other thing is with organs, we like to think of them as nature's ultimate multivitamin because it's really astounding. Like beef, for example, has 1000%, beef liver has 1000% of your daily, um, recommended value for copper and over 1400% for vitamin B12. So like just by eating a little bit of liver every day, but you get this abundant amount of these essential vitamins and minerals in your diet. And then especially if you can, you can cycle your livers too. So you're not just eating beef liver, but you're eating some chicken livers, pork liver, etc. You're getting other rich vitamins and minerals that are really hard pressed to ever get in a, a supplement form. So
1: the, the biggest thing, I think anyone listening to this, they're probably thinking like either A, uh, organ meats, or B, it's like, okay, <laughs> organ meats, cool, there's benefits to that, but how do I eat it? So for like a beginner who's trying to get into more of a nose to tail, trying to supplement and get better nutrition benefits out of their meat, how would you recommend that beginners might consume these things?
2: Oh, great question. I think this is the biggest challenge that we have with getting people introduced to the nose-to-tail approach is it's just so much different than what they're used to. And I'm not going to sugarcoat or lie to you. I think liver is a very acquired taste. And I don't know hardly anyone that has beef liver, for example, the first time and loves it. <laughs> Most people, especially a lot of our customers, they'll have it I'm like, mm, yeah, no thanks in the liver. I, it just isn't for me. And I always want to tell them, I was like, it, no one thinks that the first time. Right. It's, it's this acquired taste where I think our bodies are really smart and they really know how many vitamins and rich nutrients are in this food. And so the more times that we have it, the more our taste buds start to adjust and we start to crave these foods. Where I can recall growing up, I hated liver. I would not want to touch that at all unless I was like forced down me. <laughs> and now I actually enjoy the taste. Yeah, And it's, uh, it comes down to, again, how it's prepared too. But I think over time, our taste buds do adjust naturally because we know of how rich nutrients and vitamins and minerals are in these foods. Um, and the one food I think everyone would love if they didn't know what they were eating is beef tongue. Yeah.
1: You talk Have about you beef tongue? tongue a lot. I still haven't, I, I haven't tried it yet. I actually had some today for tongue
2: tacos. Mmm. Tongue tacos. I like, I like that just because of the name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh, and the thing is overseas in, in Mexico and a lot of other cultures, they grew up with eating these foods and eating more of the nose-to-tail approach. And we were so spoiled in America because we had this abundant bison running around and all this, these steaks and muscle meat that we were like really never had to, to force ourselves to eat these other foods or figure out a creative way of cooking it and making it taste good. And so most of those foods just went into either dog foods or hot dogs is where a lot of those scraps and organs or meats went into. Um, and so it's really hard to kind of changed the taste buds and mindset of a lot of our generations growing up that were never like you and me like really really exposed to it growing up no not at all if you can get over the sight of tongue because it is kind of gruesome when you see a tongue in a package and it's just like <laughs> this big long you cow tongue like, like a tongue <laughs> sticking out at you it looks like a tongue right and so growing up we always had we'd always keep a few cows or finished out a few steers for our family to eat and we'd always just take them to the local butcher bring them back to our freezers and we'd always get the tongue back. And I visually remember, like, we didn't want to touch that at all. So my mom would always cook it up and just give it to the barn cats. And, and like, now looking back, I was like, geez, we lost out all that really rich nutrients. And one of the best, most tender cuts out there, um, if it's cooked right. And so one time, a few years ago, we had, we cooked up and I was having dinner with my parents here. And we cooked up, boiled the tongue first. And you peel off the outer skin. And then what you can do is you can either shred it to make like a a shredded beef, but super tender, or you can slice it really thin and then fry it for kind of like steaks. Okay. And so we did that and we had dinner and we were sitting on the table and my dad had no idea what we were eating. So we, uh, we cut it. So we had it there. We all took a piece of it. He takes a bite. He starts eating it. (laughs) <laughs> Pretty good. Takes another bite. He's like, wow, this is so tender. This is the most tender steak I've ever had. Is this that new culotte cut? And I didn't say anything. And finally, I just burst out laughing. Like, no, dad, that's tongue. <laughs> and he almost spit it out. But since this day, he loves tongue. Hmm. And I don't think he would have had that experience and tried it had he really known what he was getting from the start because you can't really get over that, that mindset and fear that you it's have. It's a mental thing of yeah. eating something. Yeah.
1: I'm thinking, when you said tongue tacos, the first thing that pops into my head, so I don't, I love tacos, but I love nachos more, so I'm like, I'm going to make tongue nachos. (laughs) Tongue nachos, eh? (laughs) Because I, like, nachos to me is a, it's like a major comfort food. I don't know why. I love nachos. I like making homemade nachos, so I get my, like, organic corn tortillas and whatever and fry them in the air fryer and, like, some good cheese and just... If there's so much better than any nachos you can buy. And then I'm like, I've been doing a lot of venison nachos. And now I'm like, we got to get some tongue and do tongue nachos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for it. Yeah, yeah, that'll off. be I'm I got to try it. I got to try you it. me over for that when you. When oh, you absolutely. We'll make a big old mess of nachos. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring the tongue. So so there's a lot of different ways that people can consume these organ meats. And really, it sounds like what it boils down to. Is exposing yourself to it more. Um, it's like anything: the more you expose yourself, the more either you'll start to crave it, or the more used to it you're going to get. Is that? Um, that's to summarize. That's kind of what it sounds like.
2: Absolutely, I agree with that. And then the other way you can kind of trick yourself or trick your kids into eating more of nature's multivitamin and more of these really rich organs is to incorporate them into your ground beef or your ground. Oh, cots. yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. So meatloaf is a great example of this, where if you can just put, so you have like 80% of ground beef, and then you put in like 20% liver, and you mix it in really well, and you maybe use a food processor, and you make, make your meatloaf, most people have no idea there's even that's liver in great there. great idea. They think yeah. it just sounds. So that's a good way to start incorporating small amounts in your diet. Um, you can go to the extreme, be like Liver King, and eat your river law raw <laughs> every day and Dude, do that. But I love uh, Liver King. I don't know. He's, a, he's great.
1: I love it. <laughs> Um, we just got a attachment for our KitchenAid. We got a KitchenAid mixer for Christmas, and then we bought the meat grinder attachment. So I'm thinking, like, we got to grind up some liver because I still have some venison liver frozen. And I was like, we got to grind up that liver and get it in because that seems like such an easy way to get it into your food without even really. It's not like you're just eating a liver cut. You're getting it in without even Absolutely. realizing it.
2: Right. And then you're also balancing that with your with ground beef is great too, because not only do you have the muscle meat, but you might have more of the collagen and some of the fats that's mixed in too. So you in a way you're almost getting more wider array of nutrients by mixing it in and blending it together for that. Quick tip though, if you do grind liver in, uh or you're cutting it, we also I really like to make liver jerky and crisp too, so you can cut them. The key is cutting it really thin and then putting the dehydrator for a good 12, 24, 36 hours and make them really crispy. You can put some, put some salt and some seasonings on it. Mm-hmm. And those are really tasty snacks too. Very nutritious. But if you are going to slice them or grind them, especially you want to use frozen liver because um, it gets really mushy. can break down a lot when it's, when it's like room temp or a little cool. So try frozen too when you do that.
1: So like mine's frozen right now, just trying to like yep. get it into some, chunks that can get ground up is probably the best way to go. Right. Okay. Yep. Sweet. Yeah, yep. absolutely. I was like, I should either make like a liver pate or try to mix it in with some Ooh. some ground meat and go that route. So. Yeah, maybe try a little bit of both. So with the resurgence of, and we've sort of talked about this a little bit before, with the resurgence of uh, organ meats a little bit, do you have trouble
2: selling organ
1: meats at this point?
2: Not any longer, no. Especially, it's, it's it's crazy how the last two or three years how much liver is really taken off, and and bone broth is like the real hot thing a few years ago, and people are still about bone broth, but liver, beef liver, I'm super grateful for it, and these influencers promoting it more and more, as being nature's ultimate multivitamin. Um, but the one downside we have is is keeping enough beef liver in stock, and we frequently sell out of that, and and beef bones, but we're we're working on getting more, and also educating people too that it's not just beef liver that's very nutritious there's a lot of vitamins and minerals in chicken livers and pork liver as well and um but beef livers i don't I know why but the last i, I not have theories why but the last couple years especially it's gotten really it's really popular liver king,
1: man liver king's changing the world
2: <laughs> <laughs> liver king has probably some definitely influence on that
1: just out of curiosity this is my own personal curiosity what organ meat at this point, because like, like we talked about, there's been a resurgence in popularity. What organ meat do you still like,
2: have the hardest time selling right now? Probably kidneys, I'd say, are a little harder because people just aren't used to. And you don't hear much about kidney anymore. Or yet, I should say. Not anymore, but yet you don't hear much about kidneys. And they're also very nutrient-rich. And I honestly like kidneys more than liver, if I'm being honest here. And it's got kind of a similar texture. But kidneys, and they, and they take a little bit longer to cook, kidneys do. And, but if you braise kidneys, I think they're amazing. And one of my favorite organs, even more than hearts. But uh, we, we have, tend to get quite more kidneys in stock. And tongue can be one where if people know about tongue, like some people order four or five, ten tongues at a time. And those move through, and then other people have no interest at all in having anything to do with the tongue. Yeah,
1: okay, cool. And it seems like you guys really... You keep most of the... I mean, you keep almost everything when it comes to what what comes out of the processor. You keep the majority of the
2: animal. Yeah, you got it. We try to tell our processor to give us everything back every time um, because we value it and our customers value it. And we'll, we'll always get suet back too. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you're familiar with suet. It's just yep. the fat around, around your kidneys, around the animal's kidneys, I should say.
1: That's what's used to make and tallow, that, right?
2: Exactly. Yeah, it's rendered down. It makes amazing tallow, which is one of the most healthy fats to cook with mm-hmm. and to eat. And we should be throwing out all of our vegetable oils and cooking with more <laughs> stable fats yeah. like tallow and ghee yeah. and other sources.
1: 100%. So we've talked all about soil health, meat quality, why farms like Apsey Farms are the right way to go. I want to quickly sort of talk about... Um, with you guys specifically, you've decided to go in a different route as far as getting the product to your customer than a lot of farms are currently doing, um, especially smaller farms. There's a lot of bigger pasture farms that are sort of doing this model, but what's your distribution like? You, you obviously sell directly to customers like I can come to the farm and pick up meat. but what else how else can people get uh, Apsy farms meat?
2: Well, one of the biggest barriers I found when I was living in Chicago, was finding farms that you trust that were able, that you're able to get the products regularly. And I would go to the farmer's markets and one, it was like, there was very few pasture raised farmers are selling pasture raised meats there. And the other downside was the farmer's markets were only once a week on a Saturday from like 10 to noon, or the other option was you had to drive all the way to the farm in upstate Illinois or upstate New York. Uh, to source it and bef- other than butcher box there wasn't an easy way to get grass-fed meats and grass-finished meats and pasture-raised meats delivered to your door and i'm not going to bash butcher box but all their products aren't produced locally they're all com- imported here from new zealand and elsewhere oh. and then even like their chickens aren't really pasture-raised they the pork they kind of they market them really well but they're still it's not the same quality I was going to say it's marketed as like local product, it seems like. Right. That's the perception everyone has. And so that was how the whole distribution model came about, where it's like, there should be a way to be able to source local pasture-raised, nutrient-dense meats and not have to go to the farmer's market every weekend or not have to drive out to the farm to always pick it up. And further, I mean, the best thing would be is everyone had these big chest freezers and they could just buy half beef quarter of a beef and, and stock their fridge and then you get everything back from the processor but most people don't have the extra freezer lying around it's a huge investment to buy a half beef at once and a quarter beef and so most people would rather have a smaller amount of meat delivered right to the door when it's convenient for them but also have that relationship with farmers that you can trust and so that's kind of how our, our business model kind of came about and then quickly realize that we cannot just, we cannot produce enough meat on our farm here, about 250 acres to continue to grow and to serve more customers. And there's all these other farms around that want to find a, a better market for the products and they want to just focus on raising the meat. And so now we're able to work with them more where they focus on being the best farmers that they can be in growing the best, highest quality nutrient dense food. And then they'll take those to our USDA processors. We'll pay the processes. We'll bring them back here to our central food warehouse. Mm-hmm. And then we have another team that will help then box and distribute those to our customers across the state, across the Midwest, and across the country. So you're
1: creating like a local central hub of farmers that maybe don't want to get into all of the distribution and all that, maybe the, the hassle. Um, and you're making it really easy for them to get their products out to more people. Is that that's what I'm hearing?
2: Right, right. And we're, we're paying them a fair price that they would get more than they would ever get from selling it to the sale barn or selling it to these other big conglomerates. So they're able to make more money at the end of the day by selling to us. Mm-hmm. They're able to specialize in one or two areas. For like our, our pork partner, for example, they, they, they sell the most pork to us and they can specialize in pork sure. and it makes their lives, lives easier. And they've told us straight up, like, we, we just, we're not good at marketing. We don't like the marketing. Yeah. It's a lot of work. And quite honestly, that's how, how I spend my time isn't really farming at all. Um, not that I don't enjoy it. It's just there's not enough time to do that and build the distribution business and help expand our brand awareness and those things.
1: Yeah. I had no idea, actually, that that's what you were doing. That's so, that's so damn cool. I had no idea. <laughs> that's great. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, <laughs> we appreciate that. And then, uh, yeah, our, our new, our new partner coming out here next month. Um, I don't know if people are familiar with the Wagyu. Oh, no beef. way so to speak. Yeah. You're going to have Wagyu beef. Yeah. We're working really closely with the Michigan state research center and, uh, the Lake city off branch is just 20 miles North of Mm us. And, um, we've been really good partners with them for the last few years. If they've really helped us improve our operations and do so through regenerative holistic management. And so they've experimenting with the the Wagyu genetics in their grass fed beef herds. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to source quite a bit of beef this year with them so that we can launch a Wagyu Angus 100% grass-fed beef. Oh my gosh! <laughs> that's going to be coming here soon. That's going to be so, so awesome. So <laughs> we're trying to combine. Yeah, I hope it, hope it, it tastes just as good as it should, and which it does. We've we've taste tested it, and that's a way for us to offer even higher quality and more nutritious food, but still at a, a reasonable price, and build this more localized food system here, <laughs> as opposed to sourcing all of our food and meats from New Zealand and Australia.
1: Yeah, I can't. I cannot wait to try. I've never had wagyu beef before. I've heard a lot about it. Uh, I've just never been able to have any. So you can you can best believe that I'll be asking for some of that next month <laughs> <laughs> or this month or whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> I just set aside a half cow for you. Yeah,
1: there you go. Yeah, we need to get a chest freezer. I mean, <laughs> seriously. So, what are so looking at some of the big picture dreams? If you had to give me like two big things where you're moving forward with Apsy Farms, what, what would that look like? What are some dreams?
2: Oh, boy. That's a good question. Well, we're trying to continue to expand. And we, right now, we've in the last few months, we really expanded our distribution radius. Mm-hmm. And so when we first started off, it was just people in-state we could deliver or ship to. And then a couple years ago, we expanded to the broader Midwest area. And then in the last few months, we really opened it up to 40 states now nationwide, and we're hoping to eventually be able to distribute to all 50 states nationwide because we get a ton of requests and people in California and Oregon and out west that would love to, to support us and buy some of the products that we offer. And it's just for us, it's just been a logistics problem of everything we do is flash frozen, and so we want to make sure we can get that shipped out to you and it doesn't come thawed and and have a big mess, as well as you're questioning if it's good or not to eat. So that's been the biggest challenge is figuring out, can we do so economically with different packaging and, and shipping partnerships? And our dream is to really find a partner, too, in other states, doing something similar that we can work with in a combined distribution center so that they can cover part of the country, we can put, cover the other part of the country and have more specialized in they, there. And then also try to offer more than just, right now we have beef, chicken, pork, eggs, and turkeys to be do seasonally for Thanksgiving timeframe. And we'd love to be able to maybe offer some, some of the best, most sustainable raised fish as well. Oh man, that'd be if great. If we can find a good partner there. Yeah. So that's kind of some of the things on the radar we're looking at and then trying to con- continue to bring more partner farms on board that all believe in the same values and practices yeah. and are able to then help us serve more customers because we're not like a tech startup where we have like, a digital product that we can just scale up from zero to a hundred overnight. Like, it's a two-year process for raising this beef from start to finish, and the chickens take a good couple of months to raise, and porks a few months. So we're trying to find more partners to fit in that want to work with us and partner for the long term that have the same values and principles.
1: Fantastic! I love it. I really look forward to some of those projects. The the like the responsibly raised fish, the wagyu, the bigger uh, partnerships in other states is would be fantastic speaking of other states for people who or even in the state of michigan if they don't live in the area a firstly you can always order from apsey farms but if they want to find like you know kyle apsey and family down the street uh where would they go to find a local farm like yours
2: good question so there's two two great resources for that the one that most people talk about is eatwild.com. And there you can search by state to find a pasture raised farm that's producing food the way uh, nature intended, a more wild approach. So that's a great resource, eatwild.com. The other is Regeneration International to find more regenerative based farms. And then, of course, if you're in uh, the Midwest and um, even, like I said, pretty much all well, 40 out of the 50 states, all not really west of the uh, east of the mississippi i guess kind of we, we serve colorado too but um they can all check, check us out as apsefarms.com we highly recommend uh we'd love to promote more products and be able to continue to, to distribute to more families that value what we do so
1: real quick you mentioned com. you guys are also super active on instagram great instagram content Where can they find you on Instagram?
2: So on Instagram or Facebook, it's at Apsi Farms. That is A-P-S-E-Y, Farms with an S, and it's the same for our website. You probably heard us talk about
1: Wanda at the beginning of the episode. You can figure out who Wandering (laughs) Wanda is. There's a lot of content on Wandering Wanda. It's always really funny to, to like, she acts kind of like a pet, And where she is, you know, in the, whatever moment you guys are in the, in the, the freezer or wherever. And she happens to just be hanging out in a box or whatever.
2: (laughs) Yeah. She's one of our, uh, our most famous content, uh, marketing gurus (laughs) out there. And also on our website, I think she's listed as chief troublemaker, chief troublemaker.
1: uh... That's awesome. (laughs) I, I went to go, I was trying to, she, I, I found Wanda in the barn. Uh, and I was trying to like, come up to her and pet her but she kept running away from me and I wasn't <laughs> about to I wasn't about to recreate the rocky scene where he's trying to chase the chicken so <laughs> but, she comes around eventually. Yeah, she likes she likes you guys and th- she lets me pet her when when dad's around but <laughs>
2: yeah. well important note, Wanda is an egg laying chicken, so she's uh she produces the eggs for us sometimes. So delicious. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> they're great. So, and we have a lot of requests for incubated Wanda eggs because a lot of people oh, really? would like to have their own. Well, and you want to that's send it.
1: fantastic! I love that. So, yeah, find them at Apsey Farms on Instagram, Facebook, the Apsy Farms website, and we have a very exciting announcement to make here at the end. So don't sign off. This is very important. Everyone that's listening, um, obviously, Connor and I have been working with Kyle and his family for a little over a year now, getting amazing meats, and we've really come to enjoy being around them and all this stuff. And on the podcast, we have really been pushing this is just better for you. The, the, the people that listen to this podcast, this type of food is better for you and your family, and it's worth the money. So Kyle has hooked us up with an amazing partnership. We're going to be working with Apsey Farms for the foreseeable future. We're going to be doing, we have a discount code and it's Warrior10. So when you go to do your checkout, there's a discount code section. And there you'll type in Warrior 10. So that's W-A-R-R-I-O-R and the number 10. You'll get 10% off your first order. And let me tell you, getting a discount on this type of stuff is great. But like I said, this is just worth your time, your money to make it happen. And if you live anywhere pretty much east of the Mississippi, it can be delivered to your doorstep. I know we have listeners all over the country this is worth it. Go and order from Apsi Farms. It'll help them. It'll help us at the Weekly Warrior. We're super excited about this. As you can see, I'm wearing my Apsi Farms t-shirt. <laughs> Looks great. So yeah, Appreciate that, really so. excited about this. Kyle, do you have any kind of closing thoughts about regenerative agriculture, Apsi Farms, any other information that you want our listeners to hear?
2: Well, thank you so much for this opportunity, first of all, Corey, and all that you guys do to promote a healthier food system and to try to get away from the pills and potions and eat more real food, as Mike would say. Yeah. (laughs) And at the end of the day, we don't expect everyone to buy from us, nor I don't think that we supply everyone yet anyway. But we just want to promote more of the regenerative agriculture and having a relationship with your farmer or knowing where your food comes from, first of all, and and not eating processed foods and not supporting the big pharma and big food companies, instead trying to support your local farmer, your local food system, and making this change for not only for your health and your family's health, but also for the health of the planet. So again, thank you guys so much for the opportunity and for all that you guys do. And hopefully we'll have a chance to talk again.
1: Absolutely. We'd love to have you back on the Weekly Warrior. And just to close it out, I want to let you guys know that we are obviously very appreciative for all of you listening. You're out there grinding and striving to be the best versions of yourself. Kyle, thanks again for coming on, providing all this wonderful information. I just can't, I can't thank you enough for everything that you've done for, for me and Connor and everyone else that has consumed Apsy Farms meat. So until next week, everybody, we hope you will discover your warrior within.